Welcome to the Doctors Hospital Podcast. I'm your host, Alexis Burrows, Marketing Director at Doctors Hospital. Uh, we are excited to have on the Doctors Hospital podcast today one of the newest additions to our team here at the hospital. Um, she is in charge of all things nutrition and dietary, uh, Miss e- Mrs. Yvette Andrew Strawn. Her official title is Clinical Director of Nutrition Services. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Alexis. Glad to be here with you today. Before we get started, Here's some information about Doctors Hospitals Pharmacy's new initiative, Pick Up Now, Pay Later. Doctors Hospitals Pharmacy introduces a new spin on prescriptions called Pick Up Now, Pay Later. That's right, you can collect your medications first and pay after. How does it work? Step one, submit a prescription online. Step two, select a pickup site. Step three, collect your medication. And step four, pay online within 14 days. For more info, call us at 242-302-4785 or visit us at doctorshost.com. Awesome. So um, I would hope that our listeners would know by now, given some of the activity that we've been engaged in on social media, that March is National Nutrition Month. um, And it's something that's celebrated or recognized not just here in the Bahamas, but uh, around the world. Um, So obviously, that's just an easy um, point for us to bring you on to kind of talk about nutrition, um, talk about some of the initiatives that your team is engaged in right now, and basically just kind of get, you know, a sense of where you plan on taking um, that department within the hospital, given that you're you're newly back into our system. So the first thing I want to start out with, and I, I like to start at the basics when we do these. You know, nutrition is, can be very simple in meaning, but it can be quite complex when it comes to execution. So how important is it for, for us to have a month like this to adequately address and discuss the need for and the value of good nutrition? It's very important, Alexis, to have a month like this because uh, we are focusing on the healthy eating through the month which our theme this month is celebrating the world of flavors, embracing global cultures and cuisines and inclusivity, plus highlighting um, what we do as nutritionists and dietitians to help persons understand the overall field of nutrition and how they can eat better and also prevent some diseases that are somewhat related to poor, improper or poor nutrition. Mm-hmm. So as a nutritionist, um, obviously your, your approach and answer to this question might be different from other people mm-hmm. in the medical community um, or just in the community at large, but especially in, in the Bahamian culture. Um, but what does a healthy diet look like to you? Well, first, um, let's, let's uh, talk about what is nutrition. Mm-hmm. And some, per- some persons, to get them to understand what really nutrition is. As we know, it comes from the Latin word, which means to nourish or to feed. And nutrition pretty much is an emerging science. It's not like it's been around forever, but it is an emerging science which covers many areas, which includes the science of food, 
um, how it relates to why people eat certain foods, what foods are made up of like carbohydrates, fats, and proteins, and then the nutrient content of foods, um, whether it has uh, enough sufficient fluid, water, mm -hmm. macronutrients, as well as the micronutrients such as vitamin C, vitamin D, and of course that famous zinc that we've been talking about mm -hmm. now that we've been in the COVID environment. Nutrition also encompasses how the body uses the food as sort of like a functional phase of uh, how it can help you in your function. If you're looking at omega-3 fatty acids and reducing inflammation and also how food pretty much is digested is important, really encompasses the overall definition of nutrition. And then that really opens up the door as to then if it encompasses all, all of this, what then constitutes a healthy or proper nutrition for me or my meal plate? Mm -hmm. Correct? I'm that, that sounds about right. Um, I think one of the things, it, the, I guess one of an interesting sidebar for that is, you know, the concept of, of eating to live versus living to eat. Um, <laughs> and, and what's the, the appropriate way to approach that, right? Um, because obviously, like, you know, not, not to get into, into the, 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 the psychology part of it, but obviously food plays a very interesting role in um, how we operate as humans, right? So it's like Definitely. sometimes, you know, like, like the scent of food can take you back to, to a place the same way, you know, a, a certain song can take you back to like your wedding day or, you know, something along those lines. So it's like food does kind of have a, a powerful place in our daily lives, but should it be yes. something where we're living to eat or, I mean, I assume I know what your answer to this is going to be, but, you know, eating to live. Well, the thing, the overall thing is, and it's a good point that you raised, food has been and will continue to be a source of pleasure mm -hmm. for, for the community. Mm -hmm. it, it gives you feeling, it, it uh, identifies you socially, and it also is has a traditional aspect as well as cultural aspect. Mm -hmm. And that's also referring to which I think the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics have done it well this year, is that you're celebrating the world of flavors, really embracing those cultures. Right. So yes, you make a very valid point that um, as we as nutritionists um, provide recommendations to the community at large, to our patients, that is one factor that we have to definitely consider that food um, is a source of pleasure. Mm -hmm. we're, not, we're not trying to tell you eat like a bird. <laughs> right. We have to factor in all these aspects of your, your meal experience, the social aspect mm -hmm. as well as the cultural and traditional aspect Yeah. from your grandma's part. Mm -hmm. But then pretty much make adjustments so that the health aspect is also realized and the disease aspect is also prevented in terms of when we move into making these foods to become healthy, mm -hmm. unhealthy, because right. any food that we consume can become unhealthy if consumed routine, routinely right. in large quantities right. and or as part of an unbalanced diet. Mm -hmm. So... The, the thing is, you ask the question then, what matters most is our overall nutrient mix of mm -hmm. our meal. Right. And how then would that look? Right. So, 
Yeah, I mean, you know, for, for the, the biblical reference, you know, everything in moderation, essentially, because everything <laughs> exactly. has its appropriate amount um, that is that is suitable. And obviously that may change depending on your your medical makeup at any given time, depending on, you know, what type of, of you know, issues or ailments you may be dealing with that that may shift slightly or, or yes. greatly. Um, so I'd, I'd be happy to get into that. Right. So to answer that proper mm -hmm. nutrition, what it really looks like, um, a variety other than portioning well a variety of foods that give you the nutrients that you need to maintain your health mm -hmm. and also to make you feel good and have have the energy that you need mm -hmm. because even in the hospital setting a doctor's hospital we're dealing with different type of patients somebody who may need uh, over calories or eating too much calories or those who are undernourished and we have to look at making sure that they're also getting adequate nutrients, adequate protein and carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. So the first point is that you eat a variety of foods mm -hmm. that contain all the nutri nutrients that your body needs to maintain your health. And that includes the protein, the carbohydrates, the fats, water, vitamins, and minerals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes perfect sense. And you know, <laughs> one of the things you mentioned was portioning well. I think I, I think I might encourage you to, to change that to um, portioning appropriately. Because <laughs> some people would say, well, I portioned my plate well. And you look at that plate and it's really, you know, portioned well, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, portion control. <laughs> yeah, portion control. Um, but yeah, so I mean, you want to talk about the plate? That that's a good step too, actually, to help well, help persons understand the plate. I'm actually, I was actually going to get into that right now. So, mm -hmm. uh, we had Dr. Frederick Smith on last week talking about um, kidney disease um, and some of the, the 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 cultural components that come into play from a dietary standpoint. Um, and one of the things he he always loves to talk about, and I've heard him speak in a number of different spaces, but this idea of, you know, your, your Sunday meal in the Bahamas a lot of times is two meats, rice, macaroni, you know, plants and coleslaw, potato salad, the whole nine, right? Um, mm -hmm. So it, it, I think it's a, it's a very strong touch point that even, even though he mentioned it to kind of come back to, especially from a, a nutritional perspective, um, you know, what does what the appropriate plate look like? Okay. The appropriate plate should look like <laughs> half of your plate, really. So if you, you just took a, you take a circle plate or you mm -hmm. draw a circle and you draw that circle and um, you cut that circle in half and then you take the other half and then you cut it in half to make um, uh, two quarters, mm -hmm. right? So now you have half of that plate. On the other half, that is where really we should be filling it with non-starchy vegetables. Mm -hmm. But what's going there now is our peas and rice. Mm -hmm. Like we have about four or five scoop of white rice or peas and rice, mm -hmm. crab and rice, bean and rice. So we have to make the switch to make half of that plate the non-starchy vegetables. And some of the non-starchy vegetables, Now I'm not talking about the corn and the <laughs> cassava and the sweet potato mm -mm. because they are also starchy vegetables right. that need to be portioned well as well. So in that half, you're putting some of your watery based vegetables like your tomatoes, mm -hmm. your carrots, you have some cucumbers and zucchini and um, lettuce and some of your more darker greens such as your kale and spinach. So that is where you would put half of the plate. Now on the other side, we have the you, then we have two you, we have two portions, um, smaller portions, right? Mm -hmm. A quarter of your plate mm -hmm. now should where be should really be where the whole grains your rice should go, your mm -hmm. two scoops, 
your two spoon of peas and rice, mm-hmm. white rice, or your two scoops of mashed potato, right. or or even if it's cassava or the plantain. Mm-hmm. So you know we have to count that as our carbohydrate now. Mm-hmm. So we're really overeating, which uh, carbohydrate? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's 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 that cultural thing, right? It's 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 kind of just the the it's it's such a standard, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know. Sadly, um, and then on the other portion is where your lean your quarter, the other quarter should be your lean meats like right. your fish or chicken or even your some lobster or whatever you right. have. Your protein. You're not challenged with yes, with mm-hmm. your protein. Right. But even with the meats, like you say, we're having two or three meats mm-hmm. a day. I mean, for on the Sunday meal. Yeah. Um, uh, it's 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 a big, it's a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. It's a cultural tradition that we can definitely make a shift. And yeah. uh, I don't think we're we have a challenge there with our protein intake. Mm-hmm. But definitely, um, we're excessive on our carbohydrate and protein. Yeah. While while we're discussing the plate, I know obviously you were talking from a, a, a portioning standpoint. Um, but I know one of the things I feel like I've come across before is this concept that the more colorful your plate is in terms of the components of your plate, the more colorful it is, the, the, the more likely it is that you have a balanced um, meal going on. Is, is there any semblance of truth to that idea? The more colorful your plate Yeah, so in is. terms of like different vegetables. So for example, you have your green leafy vegetables, you have, you know, your red tomato, your 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 red your orange or your yellow sweet peppers. Um, you know, obviously if you're doing, you know, a, a sweet potato, just basically the more mm-hmm. the more diversity mm-hmm. of color in the in the components of what's going on your plate, the more likely it is that you have a balanced meal, an appropriately balanced meal going on. In addition to the portion, obviously. Right. You are definitely correct because some of the most healthy enhancing nutrients that we um, have out there is found in fruits and vegetables that are bright in color. Mm -hmm. So you have bright red, your strawberries, Mm -hmm. you have bright greens or dark greens from your kale, spinach, Mm -hmm. the sweet peppers or the yellow peppers. You have your uh, watermelon or mangoes and papaya. But not only are they healthy for you in terms of... um, just balancing more of that raw and fresh, wholesome um, fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. They also have what we call um, antioxidants. You heard of antioxidants, mm-hmm. which are very important. So if your plate is not only just col- is colorful, you also have added antioxidants from a very bright and colorful, rich diet. And the uh, antioxidants, what they do is that they really kind of neutralize the free radicals, which mm-hmm. are like trying to not get too specific scientific, mm-hmm. but free radicals, which are small cell damaging molecules that are produced. Um, this is a byproduct of waste, normal me- metabolic processes. And um, it's important to re- neutralize them simply because studies have shown that these free radicals sometimes can um, attack our cells and cause diseases um, such as cancer. So right. as we have a brighter plate, a more colorful plate, mm-hmm. um, not only does that come from fresh, uncooked food, right. like so, sort of like the raw, because we're also going to be challenged with eating, you know, like just a fresh spinach out of the, out of the, out of your garden, or if you pick it mm-hmm. from the food store and try, because as as we cook, we sometimes also lose some nutrients. Right. So. 
yeah those right. would be some of the the beneficials of having benefits of having a bright and colorful plate mm -hmm. you are definitely correct okay um so i mean obviously you're working in um in the clinical space in the hospital um, mm -hmm. So you, you engage with patients, I imagine, um, in the process of, you know, being discharged and going home and kind of, mm -hmm. you know, talking through what their specific nutritional requirements may be. Um, so how do you help to convince patients to adopt better eating habits? Well, first, let me just talk about what we, what we do here. And we do welcome um, both the inpatient setting as well as the outpatient setting mm -hmm. with our patients when we have um, persons in the hospital our team clinical nutrition team we do a complete nutrition assessment this is a part of our nutrition care process our model so we are fully educated or licensed to do a complete nutrition assessment with our clients we collect data analyze exactly um, their food intake patterns, if there are any deficient. We also do nutrition-focused physical assessments, which looking at their uh, how their eyes are, how their skin, if they have any fluid, all that can give you flags as to their um, nutritional status. Mm -hmm. And after that, we develop sort of like what we call a nutrition diagnosis and to determine what exactly would be our intervention with this patient so if you're excess in terms of carbohydrate intake you're drinking a lot of malted beverages you're drinking a lot of sodas now one of our intervention is that we have to reduce the amount of carbohydrates and provide you with the intervention with proper in hospital mm -hmm. a reduced uh, a, let's say a diabetic a reduced salt diet if you are even if it's a it's a renal diet mm -hmm. so that in hospital you do have our our intervention is at play with providing the right food from the kitchen mm -hmm. to your bedside and um, following to make sure that if you need any supplementation or nourishments while to help with the healing process while you are in hospital okay. so on discharge we then like you say provide an individualized approach so the individualized approach following through for what was what was intervened in hospital is also important to, to make people kind of um, really apply what we're teaching so then really to find out what their needs are and meeting them um, at that point and provide an individualized nutrition care plan is important to get people in compliance of following their nutritional care plan okay all right um now i think that that that's a a pretty good kind of you know encapsulation of of what the hospital offers in that space um you know obviously for me from the marketing standpoint it's it's also an opportunity to remind people you know if you're a lamp member um one of the things that is included in your lamp membership is i think one free nutrition nutritional consult um so they would have an opportunity to sit down with um, with you or a member of your team um, to kind of go through and, and, and get an idea of, you know, or at least a starting point of what they what, what an individual may need to do uh, to, to get their, their nutrition or, or their diet in order. And I know yeah. we try to avoid using the word diet because I know it, it can sometimes have a, a negative connotation. Meal um, plan. <laughs> but yeah, meal, let, let's do meal plan. That's yeah, college, right? Yeah, let's do that. Your, meal plan takes you back to college. Yeah, it sounds, sounds more fun. 
Um, Alexa, it's also with, uh, we hope to, like you said, I'm just um, back into the health system. Right. But the clinical team, along with dietary, we hope to offer a lot more services, um, programs mm -hmm. for like our diabetics, our, our renal diets, like offering maybe even cooking classes eventually right. that the the COVID, once the COVID environment becomes a little, um, that we have the go ahead to start offering some more hands-on programs with our clients or with our patients. So cooking classes is mm -hmm. also an area that the clinical nutrition team can definitely offer to the clients out there. We also have um, group um, nutrition education, whether if you're a diabetic or you're hypertensive and, and, and supermarket tours where we can show you how to use less salt and more herb-based cooking. Mm -hmm. uh, we hope to we hope to launch that in the, the upcoming months as as we get the go ahead with the with the with the COVID being uh, restrictions being lifted uh, for a bit, but there and also you know the whole exercise component working along po possibly with rehab right and um, some other professionals to bring it all together because mm -hmm. um, that also impacts your overall health. Mm -hmm. the, the fitness aspect of what um, our role will have with the fitness and um, yeah. nutrition aspect. And that's a good segue. I know one of the one of the things I wanted to ask you about, you know, um, this concept of, of diet or, or meal planning um, versus exercise. Um, and obviously, you know, you have some people who will say that, you know, exercise is kind of, of the fix all, um, while others would say that you can't really outwork a, a poor diet. Um, where do you where do you fall in this conversation and what do, what do you see as the interplay between um, diet and exercise? Well, they're a couple, right? We're, right. we're not gonna we're not gonna divorce them. They mm. are a couple and they should they should stay together. But one thing as a nutritionist, as a licensed nutritionist, what I try to um, bring home to, to clients. Now, if you look at one, one pound of fat, and usually the exercise comes in as we're talking about reducing, reducing body weight, mm -hmm. right? And the role that nutrition plays as well in reducing calories. So if you, you look at one, in order for you to lose <coughs> one pound of uh, body weight, do you, do the typical person know how much calories that is? Oh, that's doubtful. I mean, I could throw out a number. Is it, is it like 2,000, 2,500? No. More or less? Hmm? More or less? So one pound, more. Oh, okay. Jeez. How much more? Uh, about 1,500. <laughs> so pretty much one pound of, um, uh, to lose one pound, you have to have a caloric deficit of 3,500 calories. So let's look at that number, right? So we had 3,500 calories. A typical person would consume about 2,000 calories a day, 1,800 to 2,000 calories a day. Mm -hmm. And in essence, if you were to, if you're at 2,000 calories a day, and now I'm having a deficit of 50, uh, 500 calories a day. Mm -hmm. So now I am at 1500 calories a day and seven days a week. So I'm really um, cutting back 3,500 calories a day. So that's my one, one pound right there mm. uh, over a course of a week, a month, 
I can lose about four pounds because I'm now at a caloric deficit based on my intake, food intake. Right. Correct? Right. So on the flip side of it, in order to burn 500 calories on the treadmill, now I know somebody, everybody have a, a Fitbit and an Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. Um, the exercise, you, you would probably need an hour and a half of hill walking to, uh, at an incline to burn 500 calories every day oh, wow. for seven days to meet the caloric deficit from mm-hmm. exercise. Mm-hmm. So to meet your caloric deficit or reduction from exercise is a little harder than the the, the diet in, in practicality. Right. But practicality, when that cheesecake or, mm-hmm. or something is in the front of you, it mm-hmm. may be a little harder based on actually just your um, <laughs> being restricted. Mm-hmm. So really they go hand in hand. Right. You can, you can, you can lower the deficit more from the food, mm-hmm. but it will take you more from the exercise really to, to burn the same amount of calories. So that's why it's so important for the, the concept of the, the meal planning right. to have the appropriate caloric um yes yeah Mm -hmm. right because then i at that point like you said it works together and i i guess you know you hear things and i think this is one of the one of the one of the cool things that i've kind of on grown to understand from doing this podcast and talking to so many different people across um the, the different fields of medicine um is just how critical the concept of multidisciplinary care is to appropriate an appropriate understanding of health. So for example, sometimes you will hear in isolation, oh, you know, 30 minutes of exercise a day. And mm-hmm. in the context of what you just explained, which is if you were trying to have the appropriate calorie um, deficit from exercise alone, it would require an hour and a half of fairly um, in, in, intense workout. But mm-hmm. if you're doing the balance of the two, which is you're, you're um, reducing your caloric intake and you're having like, Again, going back to that concept of, you know, 30 minutes of, of exercise mm-hmm. um, a day over the course of a week, then you end up in a place that probably is a bit more attainable for most people. Um, and sustainable. And sustainable, right? Mm-hmm. Which is because I think that idea of committing to, um, you know, going to the gym every day or every other day or even just getting out to walk. Like we have so, I mean, I know looking at my own life, right? It, it gets so busy and so um, everything between work and life. And, and play and everything else that comes mm-hmm. into it, you know, finding mm-hmm. the, the space to do both. If you were trying to, you know, well, to, do, to do only one or the other is, is particularly difficult, but finding a way to kind of balance doing both in a way that's, that's reasonable, um, I feel like is a bit more attainable for, for most people on average. Um, yes. And so I think that's, that's, like I said, going back to this idea of, you know, it being a hand in hand sort of thing. Um, I mean, and I know obviously there's going to be variations to how that works. So, for example, if somebody um, is is overweight to the point where there's certain physical activity they just can't do yet, then it may be that they start off more in, in the nutrition space, in the dietary okay. space. And then mm-hmm. as they lose the weight from that, then they bring in more of the exercise space where it's safe for them, right? Yeah. Um, and then keep in mind, too, uh, with the exercise part of it, just just moving, constant, constantly moving. I know that some persons work in environments where there are stairs mm-hmm. and elevators mm-hmm. and simply or even parking um, very close to the building right. uh, versus maybe parking 
uh, a little further up Collins Avenue well, coming, coming down mm, to work. Most of the doctor's <laughs> hospital staff got to walk, so <laughs> ain't nobody right. got close parking. <laughs> <laughs> so there are definitely some ways to maybe make um, calculated um, decisions in the right. day to say maybe remove yourself from the desk or mm-hmm. walk up the course for um, flights of stairs mm-hmm. just to the fourth floor or to the fifth floor. No, we don't have any fifth floor, but to the fourth floor and back uh, maybe two or three times a day. And you would be surprised mm-hmm. um, um, the amount of activity that would add up in the week just from um, the, the daily calculated decision to, to kind of just move. Right. No, and I, I think that makes total sense. Um, there's a there's a, an interesting conversation I know that sometimes comes up around nutrition as well, um, particularly on timing of eating, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I just wanted to you, you to kind of touch on that a little bit because I know some people will say that you know you shouldn't have your last meal after I don't know something like four or five o'clock or something along those lines. Um, is there truth to that? Is there variance in that depending on your lifestyle? Like if you work shift work and you, you know, you work in a, a, a 8 p.m. shift or, or a, 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 um, a graveyard shift, how does that actually work? Well, the, I, I just want to go back to what I said before, even even with this whole timing of meals, as well as sometimes the whole concept of intermittent fasting now, Mm -hmm. is this something that you can sustain? Is it something that you can do that not only can you sustain or even promote um, the healthy aspect of giving you the energy that your body needs? So skipping meals is one of the pretty much the biggest mistake that we can do in terms of um, uh, promoting good health and proper nutrition. Regular meals and snacks when needed to maintain your energy and to provide the nutrients that you need to go about your day-to-day and to stay active is very important because if you skip, sometimes you, you can see the, the, the energy level dipping for a lot of persons who are definitely skipping meals or um, doing some other concept that they cannot really sustain. So it's very important that, um, yes, regular meals. Now, if you're a shift worker, mm-hmm. now sometimes if you, and I had this question, I think, with a, a police officer who was a mm. diabetic. So now I have to balance um, his carbohydrate intake, not only in the day when he's sleeping, but also when prior to him um, doing the night shift um, at work. So... I had to incorporate, okay, if you're sleeping most of the day when you get off in the morning at 8, consider your breakfast as, as 1 o'clock um, mm-hmm. or to really wake up for your breakfast. But again, you don't want to, when you're going to work, now be eating for another, eating for 16 hours out of a, or 17 hours out of a 24-hour day. Right. So this is where then some of those light snacking with some of the fresh, wholesome foods would come in handy for him. But again, not just to, um, to try to have some daytime um, meals as your breakfast. Maybe you're starting at 1 and then again at 6 and then by um, 12.30 or so you're doing a light light um, snack um, for, for, that, for the rest of your shift. So for the shift workers, it's very individualistic. But for the regular person, who's definitely uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, um, probably starting from 6 to 6 in the evening or 6 to 8, 
you should really vary your meals between three to four hours with a, a, a either mid-morning snack or mid-morning or mid-afternoon snack and snacks can be from an ounce of nuts it can be something that is not like refined sugars mm-hmm. like maybe some yogurt or even just a little um, a half a tuna sandwich where you incorporating with your snack with some protein right even like a half a peanut butter sandwich is a pretty good snack for some some persons like, right of course fruits and vegetable snacks don't ever fail you mm-hmm. um to kind of double back when you were answering one of the questions earlier you mentioned that you're a, a licensed nutritionist correct Mm-hmm. So we, we like to always kind of look to the future in terms of um, people who may be interested in getting into careers in the hospital space who may be interested in particular in nutrition. Um, mm-hmm. And I obviously there's a lot of different types of roles. Um, but for somebody who's just kind of getting, getting an idea of what that looks like, what's the difference between somebody who's a registered dietitian versus a, like yourself who's a licensed nutritionist? Well, a registered dietitian, and this is, oh, this is not even just a debate here in mm-hmm. the Bahamas, but even on the global scale, because some persons call themselves a dietitian mm-hmm. or some persons call themselves a nutritionist. Now, just the basic um, answer to that question, uh, you have certain uh, exams or certifying boards. Right. For example, the certifying board that is celebrating now the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics have used to have what they call registered dietitians Mm -hmm. and as of lately they would have changed the term to add the word nutritionist right Mm -hmm. and these are professionals um, who make up a large group of the nutritional professionals that are nationally recognized by the commission of dietetic registration the cdr Mm -hmm. this comes under the academy we're on the flip side of it where i was credentialed um, underneath the certified nutrition specialist, these are also a group of professional with advanced degrees from a, a fully accredited university, um, um. and they are credentialed through the the board of certified nutrition specialists. Also, both take a certifying exam, mm-hmm. but it's really your credentialing and your experience. But where we go wrong is that if you have such as a trainer who may have not had a degree from a accredited university in mm-hmm. nutrition took a three-week course or a two-week course and now can call themselves a nutritionist mm. um, that is definitely not the person you want to see especially as it relates to any type of clinical nutrition right and we also have the health professions council which would recognize ourselves including myself as well as with some other team members or persons who I know as either dietitians based on their credentialing um, certifying body or nutritionists. So that pretty much answers answers the question. Right. And they both work in hospitals, mm-hmm. some work in schools, some work in the public health sector. I know the, the ministry, the Department of Public Health, where you have some of the community clinics out there, you have some nutritionists. Mm-hmm. Um, also the government hospitals you have also um, dietitians and nutritionists right. and um, clinical role public health role as well as the food service role is important for the whole field of dietetics and nutrition right i mean what it sounds like is you, you you're more concerned about um the the depth of study that led into the the certification um which mm-hmm. it sounds like there's there's that on both sides but then you know as always we have the 
the the microwave version of it that people sometimes um kind of put themselves in the space of so it's just a matter of doing your research when you're when you're looking to engage with somebody um in that space again like you said especially when you're talking about the clinical component of it right because one of the thing is that what we what i go by as a licensed nutritionist is that we want to use evidence-based medicine as right. any healthcare professional want to use because it is an emergent science we want to use evidence-based medicine and by that i mean we have a study mm -hmm. that can show <laughs> that eating um let's say noni will lower your blood pressure right so i won't say that i won't do that i'm just using that as an example right. unless i have a clinical evidence-based control study mm -hmm. that show that um sodium intake definitely impacts high blood pressures i mean that's that's right that's given we have evidence-based study mm -hmm. we have evidence-based study that show that vitamin d reduces um your occurrence of rickets or vitamin c reduces your risk of scurvy which has been like a sailor's disease mm -hmm. that was one of the first studies that evidence-based nutrition studies that that was done um from probably in the early um I don't know, 14th century or so right so we it's very important that we utilize um, high quality research data to provide evidence-based nutritional care guidelines for our patients and for the public to understand that when you do meet with a registered dietitian or licensed nutritionist through doctor's hospital you can be assured that you're getting evidence-based um, clinical practice guidelines or tips for for your individualized nutrition care plan yeah and i mean from my understanding the the thing with evidence-based is that it, it it gives you a fair amount of confidence that it's a reproducible effect um mm -hmm. and it's it's not something where well you know my cousin down the street did xyz and it worked for him so that means it's going to work for me whereas mm -hmm. it's like no you've had you know thousands or tens of thousands of people who have been like you said, through a control process, the whole nine. And it's something that you can say with a fair amount of confidence would reproduce similar effects. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so as we get ready to wrap up, um, one of the things, you know, whether you're, you're a nutritionist, dietitian, um, or, or anything else in that space, um, what more do you think that can be done to, to assist with educating patients on, um, I guess just how to how to appropriately engage with food. I don't want to go too far in terms of calling the dangers of food, but just in terms of the appropriate way to, to interact with food. Hmm. I guess we could end where we started, just to understand that any food can become unhealthy if it is excessively eaten, mm -hmm. if it is um, not balanced, if we don't have the variety. And also to really understand that it is a social and cultural, a traditional aspect of eating and meal planning, but yet um, look at the right sources, go to the right professionals to ensure that, especially if it's, it's something health related, mm -hmm. that and where you we're working with a multidisciplinary team, that's important to you've mentioned, mm -hmm. um, Dr. Smith, um, who particularly with the, the renal patients, um, they in, in turn definitely should see a dietitian, should see a nutritionist because they're um, being dialyzed and very phosphorus and calcium and um, 
potassium as well as um, sodium really can impact the their whole process and their of their condition as well as their nutrition and there are certain things that are good choices and poor choices for them to understand so pretty much to real i would encourage persons to seek out um, the professionalism of a, a licensed nutritionist or dietitian through the, the, the healthcare system mm-hmm. and sit down and have a proper assessment and let us work out an intervention plan, an individualized meal plan, and um, follow up uh, with you rather than um, going to some sources that may not be evidence-based or research-based um, tips that mm-hmm eventually can possibly cause more harm than good, especially as it comes to supplementation and you're taking some other pharmaceutical intervention. We have to remember drug-to-drug interactions. We have to remember pharmaceutical-to-supplement interaction. Mm -hmm. And and we're the professionals. We know exactly what. And if we don't know, we're going to research and use evidence-based guidelines to give you the best um, advice possible. I think that's that's particularly crucial that that last point um when you look at our culture and things like bush medicine and that sort of thing um as well in terms of you know people not always understanding that those things also have effects that you may not be aware of that may have um impact on on your overall health in other ways um so just an idea of just kind of knowing everything that's in play and then getting the the most appropriate guidance um which kind of leads me into, you teed me up for, for the, the obvious last question, which is how can someone reach out um, to you or your team uh, to, to book a nutritional consult, to get more information? Um, how do they go about getting in contact with you guys? Okay, well, you can call the main hospital line, um, doctor's hospital line. I think it's 302-4600. Yes, ma'am. And you can ask for the dietary or clinical nutrition department. And they can transfer you over there to the um, clinical nutrition team. In addition to that, we've recently launched our outpatient nutrition clinic at the Luden Outpatient Clinic on Dowswell Street. Um, I think it's opposite the parking lot of Commonwealth Bank. Mm -hmm. Yes, correct. And um, yeah, you can definitely stop in uh, into the hospital as well and ask the security to point you to the um, nutrition office and we are upstairs on the second floor by the I think the lab area and uh, we'll be glad to um, sit with you and meet with you and book an appointment. We also are offering um, telehealth, um, teleconferences uh, where we can meet with you on a virtual basis. I had a client all the way in I think Acklands and there was a rooster crowing, <laughs> but I was still able to share with her some some concerns, some of dietary concerns with her that she had and um, give her the appropriate tips virtually all the way from Acklands. And so that we also have the ability to do that too for some of our family island clients. And um, yeah, that's where you can meet us. Sounds good. Um, so a, a whole uh, lot of information there. Um, Thank you. This is a this is probably one of the, the the more interesting and engaging conversations that we've had on, on the podcast dating back to the beginning. Um, I look forward to having you back on 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 the show um, in the future uh, to kind of go into you know maybe some other more 
um, nitty gritty details, you know, as we kind of get in, into this nutrition conversation. But I want to thank you um, for taking some time out of your busy schedule to, to sit down with us um, and, you know, talk through celebrate and, the and world celebrate. Of yep. Celebrate <laughs> the world of flavors. Um, so thank you very much for your time. All right. Thank you for having me and you welcome. I would like to offer a special thank you today to our guest, Mrs. Yvette Andrew Strawn, who is in charge of the Clinical Nutrition Department and Dietary Services here at Doctors Hospital. Um, you certainly had an engaging conversation, and I know I enjoyed it. I hope you, our listeners, will also enjoy it. Um, as always, we thank you for listening to the show, and we ask that you like, comment, subscribe, and share with your friends. And we'll see you here next time on the Doctors Hospital podcast. Doctors Hospital is proud to announce the launch of our Infusion Center. This center is available for patients in need of IV hydration and nutrition therapy, blood products, long-term antibiotics, and specialized medicines for a spectrum of diseases across multiple specialties, including rheumatology, dermatology, gastroenterology, and endocrinology. We also provide the latest in therapeutic options for COVID-positive patients. Why choose Doctors Hospital? We provide quality, highly specialized care with Doctors Hospital physicians and trained infusion nurses you can trust. Seamless medication approval through our pharmacy and registration services, a safe and comfortable environment, cost-saving benefits with copay waived on medications for insured LAMP members, payment plans for the uninsured, and immediate access to emergency services. We're located at the Luton Building on Daswell Street. For more information, contact us at 242-302-3323 or email us at infusioncenter at doctorshosp.com. Doctors Hospital, trusted and best care now. Isn't your health worth it?